We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. All right, welcome back in. We are with you until midnight. So, do the Patriots need to get Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator? That's on the table, as well as what do you want to see Brad Stevens do at the trading deadline? I have a suggestion I'll give you in a couple of minutes here. It's 617-779-7937. But I just wanted to mention this real briefly. Mac Jones having his opportunity to play in the Pro Bowl on Sunday. I think it's good for him. Why not? Why not go hang out with some of the stars of the NFL Maybe try to do what they do in the NBA at these events, like try to recruit some guys to come to the Patriots eventually down the road and all that. I mean, that'd be nice if you can get a star receiver, a star whatever, a star cornerback, a star safety, whatever. Mac Jones, do some recruiting when he's down there. But I think what we found out throughout this postseason run, it's clear that the Patriots have done a really good job finding weapons on the periphery, right? They've done a really good job over the last year and change at after the weapons really got bare, they found guys that are good players, right? They found Kendrick Bourne, who they got in a relatively good contract, considering the fact that he was coming over from San Francisco. He gave him about $5 million per season. That now looks like a steal. You think about a guy like Hunter Henry, who, yeah, I mean, you'd like the raw numbers to be better, but in terms of when you needed him on third down, he was really good, and he was really good in the red zone considering the fact that he ended up with nine touchdowns all on the season. And all nine of them came in the red zone, right? It's not like he's going down the field and making, like, these unbelievable plays. Jacoby Myers, we know, undrafted, has had a really good start to his career. Gave you about, what, 51 yards per game last season. So when you look at it, okay, Myers is a nice player. Bourne is a nice player. Henry's a nice player. The problem is this, though. Aguilar, and I feel like there are more ways they can get Aguilar involved in the offense. But Aguilar didn't give you much last year, and Jonu Smith did not give you much last year. So when you look at that, you're going to need to find ways in 2022 to have Aguilar and Smith give you something. Because those are the two guys that from last year's free agent class, if you will, that were by far the most disappointing. Because if you look at, for example, Matthew Judon, okay, yeah, the down the stretch wasn't great. I attribute most of that to an injury. And... He did look hurt at the end of the year. He was not playing with the same type of fire. He was, like, in the conversation for the defensive player of the year, and then he kind of tailed off. Okay, so that was a really good signing. Also, I would argue, now, I didn't love it at the time, but Jalen Mills worked out for the Patriots. He played relatively well last year. So, that's redundant, relatively well. But anyway, so the guys that played well, you have Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, you have Matthew Judon, 
Jalen Mills, like these guys worked out for the Patriots, and not to mention the draft picks, the Ramondre Stevensons, Mac Jones, Christian Barmore. So you had a pretty good offseason. But the Aguilar and the John o. Smith things, those are the mis- those were the most disappointing. And when I look at Aguilar, I feel like some of it has to go on whether it's Mac or Josh McDaniels because he was actually doing the same stuff he was a season ago. So if you look at it in terms of his raw numbers, 56 yards per game, with Las Vegas two years ago, he was at 31, or excuse me, two years ago he's at 56 yards per game with Las Vegas. This past season is at 31.5. So you're talking about a 24.5-yard dip-off. So you say, okay, what happened? Well, two years ago, 18.7 yards per reception, just 12.8 per reception this year. So a dip-off of 5.9 yards per reception. So he was one of the best deep threats in the league in 2020 to nowhere close to that this past season. Three receptions per game down to two and a half. So that's part of the reason that he doesn't have the yardage. Average depth of target was pretty close. He was at 15.5 last year and 14.2 this past season. His targets were way down, though. 5.1 to about 4.2. When he was targeted with the Raiders, 113.7 passer rating for Derek Carr. This year with Mac, 77.1, the worst of his career. Mac intended air yards per attempt was 8.1. Derek Carr was at 8.2 two seasons ago, right? So when you look at all these things and you start to add it all up, you start to think about it. Well, was it a situation where Aguilar just turned out to not be the player you thought he was? Or were you not utilizing him correctly? Because he is a one-trick pony. He's a deep threat. But if he doesn't get those targets, the numbers are going to be way down. All these numbers, like the advanced numbers, are the same. 2.6 yards of separation per route two years ago. This year he's at 2.4. So he basically would have had the same output if you gave him the targets. So whether that's on Josh, whether that's on Mac not wanting to throw the ball downfield, whether that's on Bill wanting them to be more conservative, whoever the blame goes on, it's got to get better next year. You have got to find a way. If you have this deep threat like Aguilar, you've got to throw him the football more. And the other thing I mentioned too, the other guy that struggled was John U. Smith. So here's the thing about John U. Smith. He is never going to be a smooth route running tight end like we've seen with the Patriots in the past. He's never going to be that type of player. Okay. He's just not a great route runner as we all saw this past season. He also doesn't have the best hands in the world, but what he is, is an incredible athlete. So if you look at it last year, when he was with the Tennessee Titans, when Ryan Tannehill and that Titans offense, it was basically All they wanted to do was a play-action pass game, right? Because they built their offense around Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, and they were going to utilize the threat of Derrick Henry in the play-action pass game. Well, Tannehill last year was third in the NFL, excuse me, in 2020. Tannehill was third in the NFL in attempts at a play-action at a buck 58. Mac Jones is at 104, which ranks 17th in the NFL. So where Jonu Smith thrived in 2020 was in that Tennessee Titans offense where it was based heavily around the play-action pass game. Then he comes to New England. He's got to learn a whole new offense, and they're not incorporating what he was good at two years ago, which was the play-action pass game. So if you look at what they did in Tennessee, they schemed him up, right? Because the defense on the outside, their concern was A.J. Brown. So they always had to double A.J. Brown. And the other portion of the equation with Tennessee is the opposition is concerned about your running game with Derrick Henry. Okay, so... What John U. Smith was doing is in the play-action pass game, he was getting open because the concern wasn't there. So if you look at it, yards before contact, two years ago, he was at 5.1. This past season, all the way down to 2.2. That's not a John U. Smith thing. 
That's a scheme thing. The Tennessee Titans were doing a much better job of scheming him open if you juxtapose that with the Patriots. And that's on the fact that you just weren't incorporating a lot of play action into the offense because he actually was when he actually caught the ball, which, look, I'm not telling you that this guy's a great catcher of the football or anything along those lines. He's not, and I'm not trying to dispute that. But if you look at it, yak per reception, he was the best in the NFL among tight ends. Now, he didn't have a lot of receptions, so it's a smaller sample size, but he averaged 8.3 yards after the catch this past season. Last year in Tennessee, 5.8. So he was doing a lot of his damage after the catch. The problem is he's actually going to catch the football, and they got to find a better way to scheme him up next season because there's got to be more there with him. He's too good of an athlete for his production to be that bad. And as it pertains to Aguilar, it's a volume thing. It's giving him opportunities, right? Because I equate a deep threat of the NFL like Aguilar to a three-point shooter. Okay, if the guy's only going to take two three-pointers a game, it's not worth it, right? You need that guy. If he's a three-point shooter, he's going to be taking six a game, right, to get the most out of his production. Because if you're not giving him those two, uh, those six threes a game, well, it doesn't really matter if you're only giving him two a game, right? So you have got to use that in a volume sense, and they didn't do that with Aguilar. The targets were way down. It's not even close to the way that he was targeted a season ago with the Raiders. And if you're going to pick up a guy like that and you're going to give him that two-year contract and you're going to pay him all that money and make sure he doesn't go anywhere after the first day of free agency, you got to throw him the football. And the Patriots didn't do that with Aguilar. With Jonu Smith, it's more of a scheme thing. He's more limited from a talent perspective in terms of what he can do as a route runner. But they got to find a way to get more use out of both those players. And the other thing I'd say is this. I feel like from a Patriots angle and all this in terms of free agency, I would love them to go after a receiver in the first round. And if that guy's Jameson Williams, who, of course, was Mac's teammate at the collegiate level at Alabama, I understand that he's coming off a torn ACL. But if he does drop to that position, part of the reason that he would drop to that position is because of the fact that he's dealing with an injury. Like, if he was healthy, he'd be going in the top 10. But you may get lucky, and he may fall to you if you're the Patriots. And if you look at it, in recent history, a lot of these guys that are going early in the draft, the first two rounds... We have, over the past four years, we've never seen more guys hit than we're seeing now. Think about it. One of the guys that is in the Pro Bowl, Justin Jefferson, all pro caliber receiver, taken in the first round two years ago. Think about the first rounders this year, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. These guys are very productive players. So when you look at it from that perspective, it has never been easier to draft receivers. And I know Bill missed in 2019 with Nikhil Harry, and we all know that Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown went right after him. But that shouldn't stop you if you're a Bill Belichick from going back into those waters again because that's a loser's mentality that's a coward mentality if you say well you know what because we missed on Nikhil Harry we shouldn't draft receivers in the first round that's dumb that is stupid so I would love the Patriots first of all to go after one of these guys in the draft because it's much cheaper and it doesn't really affect your salary cap so to speak in terms of being able to pay other guys other free agents but I would like them to dip into the free agency thing as well so if you look at it, I know the Patriots have to move money around this offseason because they only, if you look at it, have a little over $7 million in salary cap space as of now. But we all know in the NFL, you can void contracts, you can move money around, you can give a guy a signing bonus, and you can push money back to following season. So there's ways to do this. So if you look at the big names in terms of the free agent receivers, Allen Robinson, who did not have a good year, does not look like the same athlete. You have Chris Godwin, Devontae Adams, Will Fuller, Jamison Crowder. Okay, so the guy that I want more so than anything, anybody else, Devontae Adams is going to cost you about 25 mil a year. Now, Chris Godwin's projected to get 18 mil, but that to me is like the perfect guy for the Patriots offense. 
And I understand coming off a torn ACL and all that. But if you look at what Chris Godwin does, he plays the majority of his snaps in the slot. What Mac didn't have this year was that reliable slot receiver. Jacoby Myers is a nice player, but he's not that prototypical Edelman, Welker type where he uncovers quickly. Well, what Chris Godwin does is he does uncover quickly, and he's almost a Edelman, Wes Welker on steroids. I'm not saying legitimately on steroids. That's probably a bad example to throw that out there in the NFL. But he's a bigger version of both those guys. He would be perfect for the Patriots offense. So if you were going to spend money on a receiver, this is the guy I would go after because he fills a definite need at that slot, and he by far become the number one target on the Patriots and somebody that Matt can rely on. Because you look at Joe Burrow, when he needs to when he needs to throw the ball to somebody and he just needs to throw it up there and knows this guy's going to come down with the football, he's got a bailout guy in Jamar Chase. Josh Allen has that with Stephon Diggs. Pat Mahomes has that with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Who is Mac Jones throwing to when he needs to pick up a first down? I guess your best answer would be Hunter Henry right now. But the problem is Hunter Henry is not on the same level as Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Stephon Diggs and all these legitimate number one options across the NFL. Look at who Matt Stafford's throwing to in the Super Bowl in about, what, eight, nine days. He's got Cooper Cup, a guy that just won the Triple Crown. He feels confident when he throws the ball to Cooper Cup, he's going to make a play. Mac Jones didn't have that luxury this season. They have got to find a way to surround Mac with a legitimate number one option. All right, 617-779-793-7 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into. The Celtics have sort of turned their season around. So you're starting to believe that they could actually make a run in the postseason? Could they actually win a series? And also, what is Brad Stevens going to do at the trading deadline? We'll get into that in just a little bit here on WEI. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're right back to what you want to hear. More of Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, we are with you until midnight. Bill O'Brien on the table all night long. So do you believe it's Bill O'Brien or bust for the Patriots? Does Bill Belichick have to bring back Bill O'Brien? Also on the table, what do you want to see Brad Stevens do at the trading deadline? The number is 617-779-7937. So I want to touch on this briefly before we get into the Celtics. So big breaking news in the, not breaking news, but big report, I should say, rather. That would be the better way to say it in the NBA tonight. As Sham Sharania reported that the 76ers are expected to pursue James Harden ahead of the trade deadline. The Nets are now open to discussing the deal. So, by the way, (laughs) the Brooklyn Big Three of Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, they've played a total of 16 games together since Harden was traded there last year. 
They were 13-3 and in those games, so they're really good in those games. But here's what Sham Surania says in his report. Beyond availability, sources say there has been growing concerns over Harden's playing style. One of the dominant ball handling, uh, one of the most dominant ball handling of his own pace from his MVP in all NBA days in Houston. That contrasts with the free-flowing, organic approach of his two co-stars. So Durant and Kyrie want to play free-flowing, and James Harden wants to play iso ball. Nets coach Steve Nash has met with his team's stars over finding the balance and the most beneficial styles. And although there have been bright spots, too often the team has reverted to a more dry offense at the end of games, especially against the league's elite teams. In addition, the Nets' game plans tend to shift depending on when Harden is on and off the floor, meaning a different style of play at certain points. This has also been a point of contention from the coaching staff and the players, sources said. By the way, not to mention the fact that James Harden is having one of his worst seasons of his career. Yeah, he's given you 22.5 points per game. He's shooting 41% from the field, which is absolutely horrible. And he is shooting 33% from three-point territory this season. So he has been horrible in terms of his shooting ability this season. And now they have an issue internally there in Brooklyn between Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Which now, you really got to think about this for a second. If you are... Kevin Durant, are you starting to think to yourself, like, man, I had it pretty good in Golden State. Steph Curry's considered to be, like, one of the greatest teammates of all time, and you chose to pair up with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. Think about how many teams now Kyrie has ruined. So Kyrie Irving plays for the Cleveland Cavs, as we all know. He wins a championship with LeBron. They beat a team that won, that broke the Bulls' record. A nine-loss season for the Warriors. They beat those guys. They were down three games to one. They came back and won. The next year, they lose to the Warriors in the finals after they add Kevin Durant. And Kyrie doesn't want to play with LeBron anymore. So that was one of the best teams in the NBA. Like, basically, I would say 85% of the seasons in the NBA, that Cavs team that lost to the Warriors with Durant and Curry and that group and Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, like 98%, or I should say 85% of the time, 98 is too high. 85% of the time, that team wins a championship. But Kyrie doesn't want to play with LeBron anymore. He wants his own team. Okay, so he comes to the Celtics, and he ruins that team. He comes here, and he says, I'll be here as long as you'll have me. So that was a team that was supposed to be a contender. Of course, they never really contended with Kyrie in the mix. The closest they came was when Kyrie was out of the lineup. The next year was a huge disappointment when Kyrie was actually playing every day. So he ruins this whole rebuild with the Celtics or this reboot into contention with the Celtics. And now this James Harden situation there in Brooklyn, they wanted James Harden originally. Now James Harden doesn't want to be there. He's frustrated with the situation. And apparently the team is frustrated with James Harden. I just don't know how many teams is Kyrie Irving going to destroy. It's really incredible when you think about it, not to mention the fact that, and look, I'm not getting into a whole vaccine debate and all that different type of stuff, but Kyrie can't even play at home. So now you're, look, it's a personal decision and all that. I get it, but you're letting your teammates down in some sense, right? Like Kyrie Irving can't play in the home games. So part of the reason I'm not directly blaming Kyrie for this, and a lot of it goes on Steve Nash. If you look at a guy like Kevin Durant who has had how many injuries throughout his career? Well, he tore his Achilles. He had an issue last year at one point. You go back to his Oklahoma City days, he had to have a serious surgery on his foot, right, where he missed a, basically an entire season because of his foot. He missed a, almost an entire – well, he did miss a whole t- entire season for the Achilles. He missed almost a whole season for the foot. And if you look at Kevin Durant this season, because Kyrie Irving, 
was not playing on the road and or at home and because they didn't want him to play for the majority of the season, Kevin Durant had to up his minutes like crazy. So at the age of 33, he's playing 36.5 minutes per game. Part of that is because of Kyrie. Oh, and what happens? He ends up getting hurt. Is anybody shocked by that? And Harden, by the way, is frustrated that when they play at home, because Kevin Durant's injured right now, that he has to carry the whole entire team. So think about this. How many teams is Kyrie Irving going to destroy? It's unbelievable. This was like an unbelievable offense last year when those three guys were together. Virtually unstoppable. And we may never see those guys fully healthy playing another playoff series again. They were healthy against the Celtics. And then, of course, Kyrie has the injury. And then Harden has the injury against the Milwaukee Bucks. We may never see those guys healthy again. And I don't feel bad for Kyrie at all. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Sean in Idaho. Sean, what's up, man? Stop. I apologize about the – oh, can you hear me? I got you now, man. Hello? Yep, I got you now. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, um, a few days ago I felt bad about it because I zigzagged when I, I think I was on with you a few days ago. So my sincere apologies about that. Uh, for offensive coordinator, I'll start with the Patriots. Um, I think Bill O'Brien I think is the best bet. I've been hearing about Adam Gaze. I wonder how you feel about that. And, Brian, my big question to you, bud, is this. How long do you think the MLB lockout will last? I, I just hope we can get it, get a resolution, get something figured out. Because, you know, I've been on social media, bud, and I've seen a lot of people just disappointed with Rob Manfred. Yeah, uh, to the first part of that, Sean, I would say I want no part of Adam Gase. I'm with you. Bill O'Brien's the guy. I, I would hire him <laughs> yesterday if I yep. could. I mean, he, he was here before. Adam Gase was a bust for the Jets, you know, so. <laughs> I'm with you, yeah. man, and the Dolphins. I mean, the guy's just not a good coach. He doesn't sleep. He sleeps like two hours a night. I want no part of it. And, and the baseball thing, no Sean, way. I'll tell you this. No. We, we talked 48 hours ago. I'm more concerned now. After what just happened today, the MLB wanted to get a mediator in there. The Players Association said no. And here's my biggest issue with this, Sean, is – the right, players right. have more of a voice because they can get out there and they can get on social media. And you understand some of what they want. They want basically the CBT to be higher because a lot of teams are essentially look at that as a luxury tax or, excuse me, as a salary cap. And they don't want that. So that's one of the issues the players have. They want to mm-hmm. get some of the youngest yeah. guys paid more money. So you get all these issues. But the problem is because one side is front and center. You don't look at any of the negative stuff with the players, right? Because the players are not innocent in all this either. I mean, they have the best union in sports. I mean, nothing close. I mean, the NFL is a soft compared to what the major league, the players association is right, in major right. league baseball. But I think where the players are really going to be in jeopardy is when they start to lose fans, because at one point or eventually when we get closer People are going to say it's millionaires fighting with billionaires. And we understand those those millionaires Mm -hmm. are fighting for guys that aren't millionaires yet. But the point being is at some point we're going to lose sympathy for the players. So even if they're making legitimate points, at some point these two sides got to figure it out. Because, Sean, there's too much momentum in that sport right now with the young stars. The playoffs were way too entertaining last year. If you lose a season, the only way they recovered last time was the steroid era. And you're not going to be able to do that again. True. And you know something, Brian? Excellent point there, bud, because, you know, look, we all know I hate zigzagging. I apologize to you and everybody about this, but we all know exactly what happened in 04 and 05 with NHL. And I said, you know, the MLB is very close to maybe following in the footsteps of that if they can't get a resolution solved, as I meditated to you and everybody listening in, because 
MLB, I mean, look, I'm a big Red Sox fan. You're a big Red Sox fan. I, I've met a lot of great baseball fans. We enjoyed it. I mean, just think about how big it was when the game finally came back in the late 90s, even though we know about, you're right, the steroid era with McGuire, uh, when he broke Roger Maris's home run record. But everybody, we all talked about it. I was in grammar school, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, he's taking steroids to break the record and stuff. But it was great because finally fans – came back and enjoyed the game and stuff, but you're right. I mean, I just, I pray and hope it'll happen, but it's just not, it's discouraging. That's the big yeah, word, discouraging. Sean, mm-hmm. I, re- I really appreciate the phone call. Welcome. You're welcome. And his line's open if you want to grab it. It's 617-779-7937. So I agree with him as it, it's a good comparison if you look at the NHL because the NHL was really – After that lockout, it appeared that it really wasn't even a major four sport. Now, it's getting back to that, and ESPN has picked them back up now. So that should help them, and they have the skills competition going on tonight and all that. But the NHL, from an interest level, it was way higher in the 90s. Like, I remember watching the show on ESPN all the time, NHL Tonight. Like, I used to make sure I watched that. I was interested in the Avalanche and the Devils. And remember when the Florida Panthers had that crazy run? Like, the NHL, in terms of the appeal, after the lockout, night and day. And it's a really good product. I mean, there's a lot of good teams right now in the league. Of course, we see the Bruins, who are starting to figure it out now, with the exception of Tuca, who absolutely sucks. And who knows what's going to go on with that situation because I don't know how much longer you can continue to trot the guy out there if he's going to continue to perform at that type of level. This is a team that's trying to make a cup run. I mean, you still have Marshawn, you still have Bergeron, and we'll see what they add at the trading deadline because clearly they're going to be buyers. But you can't continue to put that guy out there when you know you have two capable goalies that have been pretty good for the majority of the season. But anyway, not to completely sidetrack there as it pertains to the Bruins situation, but it's a good product, and it feels like now they're starting to build up some momentum But really for a good chunk, remember they were on versus. You had trouble figuring out where they were. Now, baseball won't have that trouble. But you can't just have a year off and then come back and think that the fan base is going to be the same. It's not. And especially a team like the Red Sox. Now, I'm not saying the Red Sox will lose fans. But just from a selfish perspective, when I look at that team, they need to play again. Think about all the momentum they built up last year. And it felt like the city fell in love with them again because Cora came back. And they were in first place for the majority of the season. Fenway was awesome last year. It was like a party anytime I went to a game at Fenway Park. So when you just look at it, the Red Sox in particular, a team that definitely cannot afford losing a season. And the problem is this for the players, and I understand some of their frustrations, and I agree with a lot of their points. But here's the problem. Eventually what's going to happen is now you have people that are supporting you. I'm talking about fans are supporting you right now. But eventually what's going to happen is people are going to get pissed off at you just like the owners because they're going to say, we want to see you play. We want the season to go on. So, yeah, they have sympathy right now, but it's not going to continue for much longer. I guarantee you that. The same thing happened with the COVID situation, where they missed games, not because of COVID. Now, of course, they missed a good chunk of the season because of COVID, but they missed even more games because they wouldn't play. They couldn't come up in an agreement during the COVID situation. And during that time, when everybody in the country is dealing with this whole COVID situation, we just wanted to see live sports. We had no empathy for the players. No empathy. Just get out there and play. Like, you're uh, crying and whining about all this damn stuff. Just figure out an agreement so you can play baseball. I mean, that was the irritating part about that. So these two sides, I mean, it's just ridiculous how they can't come to an agreement on anything. It's staggering to see the difference in terms of what one side wants, wants rather, if you juxtapose that to the other side. But I did want to get back to the Celtics for a second or get to the Celtics. So 
the reality is they are playing much better basketball over the past, I'd say, month and a couple of days here. Since the new year, they've been significantly better than they were for the majority of the season. And quite frankly, they look like a totally different team. I mean, if you look at their last 18 games, they're 12-6. and six. And they were playing below 500-level basketball prior to that. And you look at, we knew that for the majority of the season, they were a good defense, but they've taken it up to a totally different level since the turn to 2022. They have a 102.6 defensive rating. The team that is second in that category, the Celtics are first. The team that is second in that category is the Dallas Mavericks. They're at 104.2. So the Celtics are more than a point and a half better or two and a half points better than the team second in that statistical category. That's how good they've been from a defensive perspective. And then you look at their net rating, which essentially takes your offensive rating and your defensive rating. The Celtics have a 9.2 net rating in their last 18 games. That is second in the NBA. The only team that has a better net rating than the Suns or than the Celtics are the Suns. And the Suns just had like a 14-game winning streak snapped last night in a loss to Trey Young. And the Atlanta Hawks, I actually watched it. It was a pretty good game. But nonetheless, that Phoenix Suns team is 14-2 and during that stretch. They have been by far the best team in the NBA really since the turn of the calendar. And the Celtics are right there with them in terms of net rating. They're .5 points worse than the best team in the NBA over this last stretch. And if you look at the Celtics, they're second in net rating. The team that is third is the Philadelphia 76ers. They're at 7.3. So the Celtics have clearly turned it up a notch, which that brings us to the trading deadline in terms of who are they going to go after and who will they trade? Now, we saw like when the Celtics were hovering around 500 and they were playing 500-level basketball and they weren't putting streaks together. Now they are. They've won, what, seven of their last eight, four in a row. So they're starting to figure it out, and it looks like they found a style of play that works for them. So prior to that, we got all this reporting about guys that they may be looking to move. Marcus Smart's name was out there. Dennis Schroeder's name was out there. Josh Richardson's name was out there. If you've watched the Celtics recently, they are not going to move Josh Richardson unless they get a really good deal because Richardson is on a pretty good contract. And if you look at his numbers, in his last 18 games, he's 28 of 61 from three-point territory. That is 45.9%. So he has been what the Celtics thought he could be. This is the best year that Josh Richardson has had since his Miami Heat days. He went to Philly, didn't really work out there. He went to Dallas, didn't really work out there. Well, now he's found a groove with the Celtics, and he is a good defender. He's part of this Celtics defense that has been really good. The Robert Williamses of the world, the Tatums, the Browns, the Smart, all these guys are playing well defensively, and Richardson is a really good defender. Now, he can't really defend threes and fours, but he can defend one and ones and twos. So he really helps you on the defensive side of the floor, and he's shooting the three well. If you're Brad Stevens... You cannot move this guy. If it was four weeks ago, you could have, right? You could have got away with it because you could have said, okay, we're still trying to help the team. But the problem is now, and I'm not saying this is a problem, it's good that Josh Richardson is shooting the ball this well because he is legitimately a 3 and D option, which the Celtics, quite frankly, have needed for a couple of years. He has legitimately been that option for the Celtics as of late. But Brad Stevens, and he is enticing to contenders because he can defend two positions and he can shoot threes. So that's going to be something that contenders are really interested in. I'm talking about high-level contenders that are championship caliber right now because I don't think the Celtics are on quite that level yet, right? But if you think about it, if you consider Josh Richardson trading him, and if you do trade him, well, that's a real big problem for Tatum and Brown because Tatum and Brown are now feeling like Tatum made the all-star team again. Brown feels like he's a stub. 
but Tatum has basically been top five in minutes played all season long. He's rebounded at a high, late, a high rate. His shooting has been much better as of late. He's attacking the basket more. In fact, he's shooting north of 72% in the restricted area over the past 18 games or so, which prior to that, it was at like 63, which is unacceptable from Tatum, but he's finishing better. He's getting to the free throw line more, and he's actually become a much better passer over the past couple of games or so, or over the past eight games or so. He was averaging coming into tonight seven assists per game in his last eight. So he's really doing a much better job sharing the basketball. Brown came back from injuries, and now he finally has been healthy over the past month and change, if you will. So when you look at it, those two guys, Tatum on a max contract, Jalen Brown in a relatively big contract. He's got two years remaining on that contract. So these guys feel like, okay, Tatum is, but they feel like we're all-star caliber players, and they're quietly climbing up at the standings. They're quietly playing some of the best basketball in the entire NBA right now. And I understand that the Celtics want to get under that that luxury tax, if you will, which it makes total sense, and everybody thinks it's just to save money this year. That's not what it is, because if you get under the luxury tax, because all these teams are going to be paying record high prices like Golden State, the Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, all these teams across the league are going to have crazy luxury tax bills. Well, all the teams that don't pay the luxury tax this year are going to get about $10 million. So it actually behooves you to get under the tax if you're the Celtics, right? Because it make, makes you more versatile in terms of the moves you can make in the offseason. So I do understand that, but you can't be trading some of your good players now. You could have gotten away with that a couple of weeks ago when you were not playing well, but now that they've sort of figured it out, Richardson is a guy that if you're Brad Stevens, unless you're getting some sort of star in return, which I can't imagine would be the case, you cannot move Josh Richardson. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. Coming up next, I will get into one trade that has me intrigued right here on EEI. We're right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. Do you agree with that? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Especially JT said it. You know, Is that a goal? Uh, yeah, obviously. It's something I'm working towards. Uh, just got to get all the pieces together, you know what I'm saying? But hopefully one day for sure. All right, that is Robert Williams after the game talking with Abby Chen of NBC Sports Boston. So apparently Tatum told Robert Williams he could be a defensive player of the year one day. Now, I would say this as it pertains to that. He's got to stay healthy to be able to do it. That's been the only issue with Robert Williams throughout his career. He's just has got to stay on the court, and he's been much more, to his credit, he's been much more available this year than he has been in previous seasons. And if you look at his last four games, he has 14 blocks. His last 11 games, he's been downright dominant on the defensive side of the floor as well. Two blocks a game in his last 11, which is sixth. 11.3 rebounds per game, which is seventh. And maybe more importantly than the blocks, 11.4 contested shots per game in his last 11, which is eighth in the NBA. So I feel like, too, the thing, obviously, he's talking about his defense there, but the underrated part of Robert Williams is just the spacing he helps you with. And you say, well, what do you mean? He only dunks. Yeah, but he puts pressure on the rim, which allows you to swing the ball around more, right? So if you're running a pick and roll with Jalen Brown or Robert Williams, and Williams is the diver to the basket, You've got to respect him as the diver. You have got to respect the ball handler, which allows these guys like a Grant Williams, who's been one of the best corner three-point shooters in the NBA, he's over 50% this year, allows him to just stand in the corner and get open threes. Allows Josh Richardson to stand in the corner and get open threes. So as good as Robert Williams is defensively, and he's been really impressive 
and he's not biting on shot fakes as he ordinarily does. And the other night, I mean, what a play he made against Charlotte at the end of the game, blocking a three-point attempt. I mean, that's incredible. That's a very difficult thing to do, especially for a big man. But his defense, we all recognize, but his offense has sort of gone underrated, and he's definitely brings a different dimension. And you can tell Tatum loves playing with him because he always brings him up because if you really look at the history of Tatum with this organization, he's never had that type of center like Robert Williams, right? It's ordinarily an Al Horford, a Daniel Tice type of player where those guys are more pick and pop than they are, okay, let's go to the basket and let's destroy the rim, which is very nice for those guys to play with, not to mention the fact that he runs the floor. No disrespect to Al, he hustles and all that, but he's not the same athlete that Robert Williams is at this stage of his career. And quite frankly, Al was never the athlete that Robert Williams was, but the same thing with Daniel Tice. He would get up and down the floor, but never the athlete that Robert Williams was. But by the way, I just wanted to mention one thing as – we get closer to the trading deadline. The one guy that interests me, right? Now, like, they're not going to get Jeremy Grant. I had my hopes set on Jeremy Grant, but the price is going to be too high there. The Celtics don't have the assets that some of these other teams have that are going to be going after Jeremy Grant, who we saw play tonight. I mean, I feel bad for Grant as somebody that went to Syracuse as well. Like, he's on such a crappy team. He got paid. He chose to go there. I get all that, but it's just not a good situation there in Detroit right now. And we didn't even get to see the number one pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham play. Unfortunately, he was dealing with an injury. But the one guy that would interest me, if the Celtics can make a deal for him at the deadline, and maybe Dallas doesn't do it now because they've been playing much better and they're back to being a playoff caliber team. They were struggling at the beginning of the season. But Jalen Brunson is an interesting sort of guy for the Mavs right now because he's having a really good year. 15.8 points per game, 50% from the field, five and a half assists per game. But here's the problem for Brunson. He is going to be a free agent after the season, an unrestricted free agent. So he may not be going back to Dallas. The reporting has been he'd like to stay in Dallas, but he'd also want to get paid. So the question for Dallas is, are you going to make him a priority in the offseason? Because if you just roll with this group, and then he gets a bigger deal somewhere else in the offseason. Well, then you're in real trouble if you're Dallas. So that's also sort of the danger of trading him. Because it would feel like if you were going to get a Brunson deal done, who is essentially the same age as Tatum and Brown. He's 25 years old, so he fits into that Celtic timeline. He would come in here and instantly be your best passer. He has a 28% assist rate, which basically means the amount of field goals he assists on when he's on the floor. No Celtics over 23.5. And we talk about the type of guy that can get you into your offense, right? The type of point guard that can do that. Jalen Brunson is sort of that type of player where he can run your offense. He doesn't need a ton of shots. He's going to make plays for other people. And the Celtics still don't have that guy. Although I will say this, Marcus Smart has been more of that guy since he came back from the injury. So that's the issue you would have. If you're going to be in a situation where you trade for Brunson, it's the same situation Dallas runs into because Dallas – they're going to have to pay him in the offseason to keep him. Same thing with the Celtics. So if you trade for a guy that's going to be an in, impending unrestricted free agent and you're going to have to give up Marcus Smart to do it, is it worth the risk? Because what if he comes here and the Celtics have a first-round exit? Is he going to want to stay here and be here long-term and sign over for the next four years or so? So I don't believe the Celtics are going to do really anything at the deadline besides cutting some costs in certain areas. And quite frankly... With Smart lately, he's been playing a lot better. The big thing for me with Smart is if you look at it, since returning, just 7.7 attempts from the field per game. Prior to that, before the injury, he was at 10.2 attempts. So he's cut down into shots, which obviously is helping the Celtics offense. All right, thanks to Will for producing. I will be back with you tomorrow with Andy Hart.
from 1 to 4. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe, be well, and most importantly, drive safe tonight. Be careful on those roads. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.